As we get started this morning, let me ask you to consider this idea. Uh, I tried to make this slide look like it's a Christmas present. I don't know how good I am at it. But uh, I want you to think about the word anonymity. We're about to meet a group of folks called shepherds. Now, there's a lot that we don't know about these shepherds. We don't know their name. We don't know if they're married. We don't know if they have kids. We don't know where they live. And we don't know their genealogy other than they would be of the nation of Israel. So there's a lot we don't know. I'd like to suggest to you as we take a look at this this morning to consider this story and these men may be the most poignant way for us to look at ourselves. Uh, They were everyday, ordinary guys. And and I want to ask you to kind of think about that with me this morning as we work through Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. You know, when I think about anonymous, I jotted myself this note that the definition of being anonymous is that you have a lack of identity, or it's a condition you have of being unknown. Now, each of us have a different background. We all come from different life experiences, let alone geographically different places. I grew up in western Pennsylvania, just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a little steel manufacturing town that was really not very well off. I'd say we call it blue collar today. It would be the lower end of blue collar. I lived in a I don't even know what to describe it, a 600-square-foot apartment-type place. And uh, I can remember as a kid, this is going to show just how old I am. By the way, Jason announced to everyone at age 40 he's old this morning. So uh, that caught my attention as well. I don't know what that makes me much older. But when I was a kid, uh, and some may find this hard to believe you young people, they didn't have color television. Yeah, they didn't have cell phones either. They didn't have laptop computers. They didn't have any of that stuff. And we had in this corner of this area where there was a couch, we had a black and white television. And every Sunday night at 7.30, the television was turned on. Who knows what was on at 7.30 on Sunday night? You're really old, (laughs) Phil. I just want to say. How about uh, the wonderful world of Disney? Remember that as a kid watching that? Well, I can remember watching that program and thinking, I don't even know where California is. You know, because at the time, it was Disneyland in California. I had never been outside of the Pittsburgh area as a kid, let alone to think that I would be known. Well, there's this idea for all of us. We may be known in a little circle. Maybe our family knows us. Maybe in the workplace, you know, we have some ability to be known. But when you think about the world, Do you ever have thoughts like, after I've gone to be with God in heaven, will anybody remember me? Connect those dots when we talk about the shepherds this morning and think about that for yourself. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, open your Bibles to Luke chapter two right now. We're just gonna look in verses eight through 20 and just go verse by verse through it and see what story it actually tells us. And I'm gonna ask uh, for a little patience with you in it this morning. As your Bibles are open, I just want you to listen. We're going to share with you an audio of those verses. So get your Bibles open and let's play that audio. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. I wish I could talk like that. Huh? Isn't, isn't that awesome? So we're looking at verses 8 through 20 in Luke chapter 2. In verses 8 through 10, we're introduced to the shepherds, and we learn a decent amount about them, albeit we don't learn anything about their personal lives. We learn about what is about to happen to them. And then beginning in verse 10 and through verse 20 of this text, there is a story that develops that I would like to work through with you this morning. We'll spend a decent amount of time on verses 8 through 10, just making sure we understand the context. But then in verses 10 through 20, what I'd like you to be thinking about as we work through it is there is a proclamation made by an angel to the shepherds in verses 10 through 12. Then a multitude of angels joins this angel that has made the proclamation to sing praise about the proclamation and make a comment about peace that comes from heaven. In verses 15 and 16, then, the shepherds head off on a little journey of their own to see this child firsthand for themselves. I'd call that their confirmation process. And after that is completed, they then tell others. That would be their testimony, and we'll see that in verses 17 and 18. There's a little biographical sketch of Mary that's planted right near the end of this text in verse 19 where Mary reflects upon what the shepherds have just said. Just a little snippet, but there's something I think there for us to take in the context of this entire story. And then the story ends in verse 20 with the shepherds really returning from where they started. So it's a full circle. So we're going to take a look at it this way. As we do, let me start by first showing you a little bit about the geography of the area, just to make sure we're all thinking about this in the same way. This is a pretty tight region. Uh, if you look at Nazareth in the north, and you were to draw a straight line south to Jerusalem or Bethlehem, we're talking about, as the crow flies, about 70 miles, so it's not a great distance. And the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem is in the area of five or six miles. I gotta admit, while I was 
trying to figure this out this week. I did something because I lost track of myself. I pulled out my phone and I went to my Waze app. Who's got Waze going on on their phone? You got Waze, right? Well, I realized that I knew how to use Waze, but I didn't know how to use Waze where I could put, you know, the start of the journey in Nazareth, Israel, and the finish of the journey in Jerusalem. So I just put Nazareth in, Israel, and Waze proceeded to tell me that the traffic was light and it would only take me eight days to get there. So the good news is uh, Waze works in Israel. I did later on figure out how to get that, and Waze tells me that the distance is about 86 miles by roads. Uh, And once I did figure it out, they also told me, it must have been midday because Waze also told me the traffic was light. So uh, what I'd like to suggest to you is think about these distances as really close by. Now, you know Nazareth because this is the place where Mary and Joseph live, and this is the place that we'll drill down into next week where Gabriel visits Mary. You know, last weekend we talked about uh, Mary visiting Elizabeth and that Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judea. So that's just a little bit to the south and west of Jerusalem and Bethlehem just so you can kind of get a sense of these distances. And then certainly Jesus' birth uh, in Bethlehem. So just a little backdrop from a geography point of view. Let's start going down into the text by first looking at what we can learn about the shepherds in verses 8 through 10. In the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, I'd like to just point out two things about this chunk of text that I think are worthy of us considering. You know, the text begins by identifying where the shepherds were. It says they're in the same region. That would be the same region as Bethlehem uh, because that is where they're going to be instructed to go. And then it also tells us what they were doing. It says that the shepherds were out in the fields and they were keeping watch over the sheep, you know, over the flock, and that this was happening at night. Now, I think it's interesting for us to pause for just a second and think about shepherds. I think too often shepherds get a bad rap. You know, we talk about them as having a terrible job, that no one else really wants to do that job, that they weren't thought highly of in the community. And and I just want to remind you of a couple of things about that because I want to frame shepherds more as a representation of everyday people doing everyday work. Something that I think is worthwhile for us to remember, do you know that Abraham, Moses, David, they were all shepherds. They performed the function of caring for the sheep and the flock. As a matter of fact, when we move to the New Testament, Jesus is most often described as a shepherd. Peter talks about him in 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, as the chief shepherd. Jesus is in charge of all the shepherds. Something to think about. And then the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, describes Jesus as the great shepherd. Not only is he in charge, but he's the greatest of them. So I think there's, there's a case to be made that when we think about shepherds, we can't just put them in a little box over here on the side and say they were unimportant, and it, and it, they serve no real 
purpose. Another way to think about this before we move on from this idea is the mere fact that in the economy of Israel, apart from agriculture, the idea of animals being used for food, you know, the protein component of diet, in this area of the world, it's limited to sheep and goats for the most part. So the idea of these being the individuals that cared for the primary element of protein that would go into the diets of people is a pretty significant role. And I, and I think something worthy of thinking about. Well, let's move on from there. There are three things that are described here in these verses that take place. First, what Christy talked to our kids about, that an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Now, something that I wanna just remind you of, in the context of the entire Christmas story, this is now the third time that an angel has surfaced. Remember the first time with Zacharias was Gabriel, and he came to tell him he was gonna have a son, and he needed to name his son John, and his son was gonna be a forerunner that would announce the coming Messiah. The second time, which we'll look at next Sunday, was when Gabriel again comes to Mary and announces to Mary, who had never been with a man, that she's about to have a baby and that she, too, is being instructed what to name that baby. I, I, I made note there's a big difference between what Zacharias is told and what Mary's is told because Mary is told that her son is going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be the one that the Lord God picks to take the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Joseph forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So here now is the third time an angel now comes to the shepherds. Now the message that the shepherds have is, is not necessarily for them that they are going to have a child, but they themselves are going to experience the birth that the angel Gabriel explained to Mary, they're told that you will see today in the city of David a child born, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, one of the interesting things about angels, and I would just make a quick note of this, angels don't come without purpose. Uh, they have a very defined purpose when they surface. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews actually does a decent job of describing that to us in one verse. So if you are interested in making yourself a note, Hebrews 1, verse 14, Hebrews opens speaking about Jesus and that these are the days of Jesus now, the Messiah, the Christ that has come. And the writer of Hebrews immediately starts referencing some of the prophecies about Jesus coming. Let me pick up in verse 13. The writer of Hebrews says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? There's this beautiful picture of Jesus' place far above the angels. Well, the writer doesn't stop there. He says in verse 14, referencing now the angels, are they not all ministering spirits? Are they not all ministering spirits? So the first thing we can learn about angels is they come in a spirit form. Let me give you some good news. I've not seen an angel. So if you're worried at all about that for me, that has not been my experience. But this is what I have experienced. They were sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. There's a really special purpose for angels. They come and interact with those who will be gods. 
So here we are with an angel announcing to the shepherds this coming Messiah. There's a story in that that we cannot miss. Well, the second thing here in these verses is that while this angel comes, we have this description that there is this glory that's shown, that is shown around them. That's God's majestic presence. If you had an Old Testament mind, you would immediately be taken back to what's called the Shekinah glory. Remember, as, as Israel was lost in the wilderness and they traveled from place to place, God would come down into the tabernacle tent as a fire at night, and they would come to the, the priest would come to get word from God, and then when it was time to move, the fire would go up and a cloud would form, and they would follow the cloud until the cloud stops. This is that kind of an idea that the glory of God had shown around them. Christy also mentioned this morning to our kids, there's an immediate response whenever an angel surfaces, and that is there's fear. I mean, this is pretty amazing stuff. Imagine for yourself standing there in the dark, and then this being comes before you that you had not anticipated. And there's a common sequence when angels surface in the Bible. Let me just run through it quickly. They appear. Every time they appear, there is fear. Every time there is fear, the angel says, don't fear. And only until those three things take place does the angel actually announce why they're there. That's a common practice that you can see wherever angels surface. Well, why did I spend so much time just talking about that? I want to go back to anonymity for a second, and I want to ask you to think with me. Just one simple note of application. I don't know how it is for you, but there are sometimes I just feel kind of anonymous. Like if tomorrow happens, no one's going to miss me if I'm not here. I don't know, is that frustration, Jason, that's hidden in anger? I'm not sure. I'll have to come back and, and figure that but for us, in this, in this sense, we're just like the shepherds. The world might not know who we are. We don't know the shepherd's name. But God knows who we are. God's with us in this. He's always nearby. I, I'd make this observation from an application point of view right out of the box with this story. And that is simply that God is involved in the lives of ordinary people just like you and me and he meets us right where we are. And I think that there are times that we miss that. It just breezes by us because we are not paying attention. Well, the other thing that this text tells me is that God shows up when we least expect it. The shepherds weren't expecting an angel. They were taking care of their sheep. You know, as a matter of fact, in this given area, there are many uh, theologians that would suggest this area where the shepherds are could be within two miles of Jerusalem. So think with me for a minute. In Jerusalem is where the temple is. That's where animals are sacrificed. Sheep are sacrificed, you know, on a regular basis. It's a large industrious operation with many priests that are operating effectively as Jewish bushers of these animals that are coming to be sacrificed before the Lord. Well, where are the animals? They've got to be somewhere nearby so that they can be transported to Jerusalem. Historians will tell you that about two miles outside of Jerusalem, there's actually a place they call the shepherd's field. And the, sheeps, the shepherds would gather there with sheep that were being prepared for that religious process. This could very well be that place. We don't know. The, sh the shepherds could be two miles from Bethlehem. They could be 10 miles from Bethlehem. But I think what's important for us to, to really consider about this 
is that wherever they were at that moment, an unexpected event happened for them. God just kind of showed up. Now, as I mentioned, see, I've never seen an angel. You don't need to worry about that with me. But while I was working this text, the thought that came to me was, God sure has showed up in my life. And one of the thoughts that came to me was a time in my life where he showed up where I would have picked a different way. I would have picked a different issue. I had a period of time just short of 20 years ago where in the same week, my father passed away. I lost my job that I had had for over 30 years. The church that I was serving in as an elder had the senior teaching pastor step down because of a personal failure in his life. All three of those things in the same week. Now, if that wasn't enough, it was the week leading up to Easter Sunday. I mean, crazy. Now, at the time, I probably didn't think about it as God showing up. Matter of fact, I can tell you with some level of certainty, I thought about it as one of the worst weeks of my life. But as I stand here this morning, some 20 years later, I'm reminded, and this is what God did in my heart as I was looking at this text, and maybe he will cause some reminder for you, that when my father passed away, he had ordained that through, through a rare set of circumstances, I would be with him just a few days before he passed away. And my last conversation with him was about faith in the gospel. And he responded in some way, but he was at a place where he couldn't speak words. God gave me a gift. I don't know if my dad responded in faith or not, and I won't know until I get to heaven. As it relates to my job, had that not happened at that time, I would not have left my position in corporate America and gone on as kind of an entrepreneur. And today, I have the privilege to work with my three sons who are grown men in and of themselves. Had that not happened in my life then, I wouldn't have had the privilege to know them in the way that I know them now. The greatest blessing in my life apart from faith. And Patty, of course. I don't want to leave her out. And and even as I think about the church, had that not happened in the church, it was God's church. He knew what he was doing with it. I was just kind of a bit player in the midst of it. It wouldn't have caused a situation where Patty and I answered a call from one of our friends to go help him plant a church in another city. And job and church together, had I not gone into business with my sons, we wouldn't have built a manufacturing plant here in Tennessee. I wouldn't be here with you this morning. Now, that may be good for some of you. I'm hoping that's not necessarily the case. You know, God shows up when we least expect it. That's a lesson we can take just from meeting the shepherds. Just think about that for a minute. Well, let's move on to the second half of verse 10 through verse 12, and we're gonna kind of buzz through these things now once we've looked at the shepherds. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. Now the angel makes a proclamation. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now there's a lot packed in to these two verses. Two and a half verses, if you will. Let me start first with this, this declaration 
that there is good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. Let me ask you to think about this for just a minute. The idea of good news and great joy would be a calming thing for the shepherds to hear. You know, they've just been frightened. You know, the angels appeared. Well, now the angel begins to speak and the good news for them might be that the angel's not pronouncing some judgment on the shepherds. And I would imagine there could be that kind of a thought going on for them. It's just the opposite. It's calming words. It's good news of great joy. Let me just give you, you know, one thing about that. That two words that are translated good news for us in our English language are one word in the Greek. And in the remainder of the New Testament, when that word is translated, it's no longer translated only as good news. It's translated as the gospel. So, This is, in fact, the good news of great joy is, in effect, the gospel that is coming to these shepherds. The other thing that I would notice here is that it is for all the people. Well, who are all the people that the angel is speaking of? From a contextual point of view, I want us to kind of narrow our thinking for a minute. So those of us that feel like we're Gentiles and don't have, you know, a Jewish kind of a heritage or genealogy, then you can feel left out because this text is really directed towards Israel. We've not experienced the gospel yet in the form of Jesus' ministry and his death and resurrection. This is the prophetic fulfillment of what the Old Testament fathers of the nation of Israel have said and is coming to pass. It's the gospel of salvation to Israel. Second thing that the text says is that this child is born in the city of David. Now, that can be confusing. If you're a Bible student, you know that the city of David is, for the most part, connected to Jerusalem. Forty-five times in the Old Testament, Jerusalem is described as the city of David. Bethlehem never is. Actually, it's only referred to as the city of David twice, and in both cases, it's in this gospel record in the New Testament. So what's really behind that? Well, there's a couple of things there. First and most easy is King David himself was born in Bethlehem. Go back to 1 Samuel 17 and you look at David's history, you find that his family came from Bethlehem. This was home for them. This is a time now for the nation of Israel where the Roman Empire over them has said, we want to do this census. We don't know where everybody is where they're living, where they've come from, and folks were asked to return to their hometown. So in this particular case, we're dealing with Mary and Joseph returning to Bethlehem from Nazareth where they lived. So there is this big picture that's being painted for us that the city of David isn't so much nomenclature as Jerusalem was identified as the city of David because he was king and he developed Jerusalem into the city that it it was, but more so that it is the place of David's birth. I won't take the time this morning, but if you want to jot yourself a note, one of the the ways to really kind of put a pin in this is to look at Matthew's record, and you can see that in Matthew chapter 2 in the first six verses. He quotes the prophet Micah, and he pulls from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and it's a very detailed description of this Jesus, the one who is to come. So he's born in the city of David, and then there are three things about him that we need to know. First, he's a savior. 
Second, he is the Christ. And third, he is a Lord. Let's deal with them just individually, but quickly. Savior is the word sotir in the Greek language. It effectively means he is God's deliverer. So the first thing that we know about this child is that he comes from God and he is God's deliverer. This would take a Jew back to Isaiah's prophecy that Michael worked us through two Sundays ago, that this Messiah was to come. It's an identification, it's an authentication that this is Messiah. The second thing about him is he, he is Christ. Well, that's the Greek word Christos, that's where we get the word Christ, and that's lifted out of the Hebrew language, which was the word Meshiach. Now, Meshiach, translated into our language, means the anointed one. So he is the deliverer of God who has been anointed by God. And then finally, the statement says he is to lead Israel. Well, there's something interesting about this leadership that he has for Israel. He's called the Lord. Now, if you notice there, it's not like you find in other places in your biblical text where the title Lord is in capital letters because it references God's memorial name, Yahweh. This is all small letters because it's the Greek word kyrios. And that too is specific because the text here has already dealt with the fact that he's God's deliverer and he is the anointed one. So we're adding a third dimension to how he will operate. And this is, this is the place where the world is most confused, and I should say Israel was most confused. Kyrios literally means the benevolent, loving leader. He wasn't gonna lead with a sword. He wasn't gonna lead by overtaking what might be the political centerpiece of the world at that time. He was gonna lead with benevolence and love. This is who the shepherds are being introduced to. And then finally, at the end of verse 12, there's an authentication statement. The angel says, there's a sign for you. Right? There's a way that you're gonna know that this is accurate, and there are two parts to that. It's a baby wrapped in cloths. If you are familiar with Old English, I know many of the women here will relate to this. It's the idea of swaddling clothes. So when a newborn baby is first in this world, the ladies wrap them tight with a nice blanket to make them feel comforted and controlled as they were in the woman's womb so that they don't feel like they've escaped into this wild world that is after them. It's also a symbol of caring for them from a health point of view to keep them clean. So this idea of finding a child wrapped in clothes means one thing to the shepherds, there's a mother involved and that this child is well cared for. Now the second is a little stranger. He's gonna be lying in a manger. Simple description of that is it's an animal room. This is not a place where the politically elite go. It's not a place where the wealthy people are, and it's certainly not a place where the religious elite would find themselves. This is a humble place because it is for all the people. Remember that statement? It is for all the people. I love this quote from a fellow named Frederick Decker. He's an old school Episcopal pastor. He says this, Messiah's life will contain an unusual bookend for a king since he's born in an animal room and will die with robbers. This is the picture we have of our Lord. Well, let's move on to verses 13 and 14. It expands now from just an angel to a multitude. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, 
praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Three things here as well for us to note. It says here that they suddenly appeared. There's an unexpected nature to this appearing of this multitude, and it's also immediate. It happens as soon as the angel finishes the proclamation. This, in my simple terms, is heaven addressing the significance of Jesus. It's a declaration from heaven ordained by God for all men, and it begins with these ordinary, unnamed shepherds that are just minding their own business, caring for the sheep. Well, what happens with this multitude? It has something to say as well. The text tells us here that the multitude is praising God, and the multitude is saying glory to God in the highest. Now, I'd like to make this observation about that statement. Jesus, as a baby, is coming into this world by the ordination of God and for his glory. I think too often we think that Jesus came for us. Now, in a sense, he certainly does. But he came to glorify God. And glorifying God produces in God the grace to apply to us that we might believe in faith. Jesus' coming is by God and for his glory. This multitude goes on and says that on earth there will be peace among men with whom he is well pleased. You know, peace is that idea of shalom. You know, the Hebrew word shalom, when someone would enter a person's house, they would say shalom to the people that they were coming before when a person would leave uh, a home or to go on a trip. There would be a pronouncement from the folks that were being left behind of shalom to that person that they would have peace. This is the peace of God that's being spoken of here. What's more interesting to me is it's got a limiter attached to it. It says that this peace comes to those whom God is pleased with. Let me ask you to look in your Bible for a second to Luke chapter one, and if you wouldn't mind, look in verse 50 for just a minute. Now, you remember last week, Mary visited Elizabeth, and Elizabeth declared that the child that Mary would have would actually be Messiah. And now we're in a place in the text where Mary is just reflecting on that. And she's going through a series of reflections about how wonderful it is that Messiah has come and how lowly she is to be chosen by God. Look at what she says in verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear God. His mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear God. This is a pretty simple statement that I think parallels nicely what the multitude is saying about the people who God is pleased with. Mary says that it's forever, and it's for those people that fear God. Let's move on to verses 15 and 16. Now the shepherds are gonna take their own little journey so that they can see it with their own eyes. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. 
It's interesting here that once the shepherds have gone away, the silence ended. Did you notice that the, there's no record of the shepherds saying anything to each other while the angel is speaking or the multitude is with them? There's this silence. But immediately as the angel and the multitude goes away, the shepherds began to talk to each other. Well, what is it that they talk about? They talk about that they need to do what the angel told them to do. They were believing the angel, and they immediately went to Bethlehem. Not because they needed to prove it, but because they believed. The text says they came in haste, and they found their way to Bethlehem. We have no detail about how did they know the right path to take to Bethlehem. We just know that it is in that region, and it is nearby but it says there was an urgency for them. They had heard about God's peace, and they were urgent to discover it. Now, I find it interesting that the text emphasizes this urgency, and it makes me wonder, when we come to faith, how urgent are we when it comes to understanding what we believe? Just something to think about. Verses 17 and 18, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things that were told by the shepherds. Faith demands a clear testimony. When they had seen this, they made known the statement. Their reaction to believing was to tell others. Faith demands a clear testimony. Most theologians would say that these shepherds are the very first evangelists that were able to share the gospel. You know, I, I, I spent some time on Friday mornings with a group of guys, and we're working through Paul's letter to Romans, and this past week we were in chapter 10 of that letter where Paul is trying to get the Jewish folks to understand that it's about faith and not works. And uh, one of the guys, I jotted this down, one of the guys said, don't you need to speak about your faith as a norm in your life if your faith is real? I thought that was an interesting question. I want to be careful here. The guy that asked that question wasn't putting himself on a platform that he had it figured out. I think he was probably more coming from, am I okay? You know, what if I feel like I've got a need to improve on that? Well, it's an interesting question because it really is between you and God. And I would suggest that here are the shepherds. They have a clear conscience about what they believe, and what came with that clear conscience was without any delay, without any uncertainty, without any reservation, they were willing to make known the statement which the angels told them. And what's the reaction from the people that they speak to, all who heard it wondered at the things which they were told by the shepherds. Now here's one of those times where the grammar really matters. Because I wanna share with you what the text isn't saying. The text is not telling us that all who heard them believed. The grammar here actually suggests that they really just started to ask questions. Sounds interesting. Wow, what an amazing story. Maybe even to be so bold as to say, I wonder if it's true. Now, how can I make that statement? Well, if you look at the very next verse, that one verse where we're introduced to Mary, you can see the contrast and just how different 
Mary's reaction is in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You see, wondering wasn't for Mary. She treasured it. She saw the deep value of what the shepherds were saying. She knew in her heart that she was carrying the Son of God and had delivered him into this world and that he would be Messiah. You see, one of the things that we all have to come to grips with when we share our faith is not everyone listens. And it's most difficult when it might be a family member or a very close friend. But the thing we can always be certain of when we share our faith is that our own faith is encouraged. Our own belief system is strengthened because we are convinced even more so that God is at work in it. Well, let's finish the storyline in verse 20. And here's the end of the story. The shepherds went back. They went back. Glorifying and praising God. Why? For all that they had heard and seen because it was just as they had been told. They returned to the fields in the region with everything the angels had told them confirmed. That's obvious. But do you see this part? Because I think this is what connects them to us. They went back to their normal, ordinary lives. They knew Jesus, the Messiah, It was miraculous. It was amazing. Just like when we come to faith. And they went back to their normal, ordinary lives. But the text tells us something else. Something had changed for them. Their faith was rock solid. And it tells us that they had the same response on their way home that the angels had, glorifying and praising God. Let me finish this up for you. Remember that outline that I gave you at the very beginning? Let me see if I can't make some sense of it. The angel's proclamation, in essence, is God speaking of his son. And when he does, there's praise from heaven, and earth gets peace. Said more simply, heaven glorifies God, and we are the recipients of that benefit. And in this case, the shepherds listen and take in the angel's message. It's kind of like this. All who believe, listen. Which leads to their own testimony regarding what they believed. They told others. In the case of Mary, who was one that believed God's message, she considered Jesus. She took it all in. She reflected on it. All he was and would become for mankind. What more was there for the shepherds to say? They just glorified God. Let me see if we can't put this into a statement that you can hang on to. When God speaks of his son, heaven glorifies God, and all who believe listen. These believers tell others as they consider Jesus Christ and glorify God themselves. You know, this Christmas... This one that we're in right now. God is speaking of his son today, just as he did at the beginning, just as he did with these shepherds 2,000 years ago. And he's speaking to you and me. You see, Christmas 
is heaven glorifying God in Christ. Christmas is heaven glorifying God in Christ. Our role is to take it in, to listen, to treasure that gift just like Mary did. And it's the perfect time to share your own shepherd's story. It's a time of year where the world still pauses for gatherings, for friends, for family, even if it's just traditional. It's an opportunity for each of us to have our own shepherd's story and do exactly what the shepherds did. The text says, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. They made known the statement which had been told them about the child. I would just simply encourage each of us, don't let Christmas slip by this year. God's laid a person on your heart or persons on your heart. Be like the shepherds. Respond. They made known the statement which had been told them about the child. You see, the angel came to the shepherd. And the angel said to the shepherds, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, God's Redeemer, a Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord who loves and cares for you. You see, that proclamation is as much for us as it was for the shepherds. This is what Merry Christmas is.